Thank you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 today. If you brought a Bible or device, that's going to be a great passage. Going to reveal the beauty of Jesus and how he's helpful for us today. And it's good to have you here. My name is Luke, if we've not met. We are in the last two weeks of our series through what we've been looking at, which is just basically the Apostles' Creed. I can't believe it. I mean, it's been like 10 weeks and we're already done with it almost. And then we are going to have a quick three-week special series before Advent. Can you believe I just said the word Advent? Advent, it might as well be Christmas already. It's just Christmas. Let's just say it's Christmas. It's already Christmas. No, I'm looking forward to the next two little mini-series that we're going to go through, but this is going to be probably the last major chunk that we walk through the Apostles' Creed. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to be good for us. Now, listen, I don't know if you've noticed how difficult the news cycle has been the last two, three weeks. I mean, I know tragedy always gets clicks, but it seems like it's been really difficult as of recently. Um, I know a lot of us are still kind of mourning the mass shooting in Maine where 18 people were killed. Uh, people ranging in ages from 14 to 76. There's a lot of carnage. And of course, that's followed by the controversy of what caused it and what will stop the next one. Is it mental illness that needs to be focused on? Is it gun control that needs to be focused on? And that's, that's a controversy that's chasing every single mass shooting that we've seen. And one of the things I'm reminded of when I see people not agreeing on any of this is that placing our hopes on governmental leadership to stop tragedy, that's a misspent hope. It's misspent, right? I'm also watching, just like you are, two brutal wars in real time, caught on high def with body cams, and we're seeing in the news how it's getting worse before it ever has any hopes of getting any better, and might even look like it pulls our own country into the midst of it. Troops might be deployed, and I'm reminded, maybe you're reminded like I am, that investing our hopes in geopolitical harmony is also misspent, bound to be upset, I saw recently in the news, along with these headlines, that Mary Lou Retton has spent some time in intensive care. This might not mean very much to some of you. I'm not a big gymnastics honk or anything like that, but it did shake me a little because in my generation, she was kind of the, the, the picture of health and wellness. And she was an advocate for health and wellness. Nationally, she was, maybe even globally. So I'm reminded whenever I see this that the human body is a bad place to invest our hopes and dreams and deepest aspirations I'm also hearing, just like you, the clatter of a dark recession coming our way get louder and louder and louder. I mean, I was just talking to my wife yesterday when we were driving around that the average home price for a home in Knoxville has doubled in six years. Doubled. That's amazing to me. I've never seen anything like that. Your wages didn't double, though, did they? No. It's difficult. So I'm reminded, maybe you're reminded equally, I'm reminded that the economy, even our personal finances... They're a very poor place to invest our deepest hopes and dreams. There's all kinds of news headlines that remind me of this. China is racing us to build the, the, be, the best battle robot that it can find. I mean, we're finding that dengue fever was located in California. 26% of all new moms now are experiencing miscarriage. Inflation is wrecking retirement accounts. The national budget deficit is 23% up, higher this year than last year. Mental depression is growing. Tropical depressions are growing. Headline after headline. I'm thinking this. I'm thinking this home isn't much of a home. 
I'm thinking this is not much of a home. This place that we call earth is not a safe harbor for your deepest aspirations, hopes, and dreams. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, man, what is this guy's problem, right? And if you've known me for a while, you're like, it's already fall. I know it's fall. I don't even need the leaves to change. Luke starts getting grumpy when the fall comes. And it's true. That is my cue. I know they're pretty, but if they're falling to the ground, they're dead, folks. Those leaves are dead. And that's all I see is the death and the destruction of them coming down. I get tired of walking into Home Depot in August and seeing just, just Christmas decorations, smelling Yankee candles everywhere I go right now. And of course, they all smell like apple pie or, or, or pumpkin. And I start feeling this, this, oh my gosh, it's time. And I immediately start counting days until spring starts, right? Every year I go through this, it's difficult. 142 days till spring, by the way. That's for free for some of you who are like me. For some reason, wintertime reminds me that nothing works like it should. Now, maybe you're not the same. I see roads that don't work, ice that won't let us drive. I see no leaves on the tree. The sun doesn't come out like I want it to come out. I feel like this is pretty much a Polaroid of the state of creation. Now, whether you love wintertime or you hate it like me, doesn't matter. One thing that we can all agree on is that what began as a paradise became very uninhabitable whenever Adam led his family out of the garden to interact with thorns and sweat and inflation and cancer. It's uninhabitable, this place. So uninhabitable, by the way, that the Bible describes a moment where many people grow tired of even seeing the sun come up. Right? It's not just geopolitics that bears down on us. It's not just our finances that bear down on us. Age itself, our own bodies bear down on us. There's a passage I'm going to look at in Ecclesiastes 12. Stay where you're at in your own Bible. This will be up on the screen, though. And this is Solomon speaking to you and me. And he says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. By the way, this is just a flowery way of talking about things that are not so flowery. This is losing your sight. It's talking about where our vision goes dim. Whether it's cataracts or the muscles around your eyes are starting to atrophy. Maybe the change of your eyeball's shape makes it hard for whatever reason. Creation could go wrong a million different ways when it comes to our eyesight. That's what it's talking about right there. Verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And that, that is what it looks like as we age. I was in the gym the other day and I saw this guy walking through, he's a loud guy, he fills a room with his personality. I was watching him walk through the room and just bent over, just crooked, right? But I knew in my mind, that guy didn't look like that 50 years ago. He probably had the biggest chest in here. He probably filled the room. He probably was bigger than life and now he is barely making it across the room. And that's gonna be me someday. In 50 years, that's gonna be me, bent. He's just pointing it out for us. And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. And when the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, of a bird, right? You've been there. Some of you are already doing it. I mean, your sleep is so lousy that a bird wakes you up. Listen, if my thermostat clicks, I hear it from two rooms away, right? 
I'm fight or flight. I'm thinking, what's going on? What's going on? It's just the thermostat, but that's how it gets. I wasn't like that when I was 15. I could have slept through anything when I was 15. It's describing our age here. And all the daughters of song are brought low, and they are afraid of what is high and the terrors in the way. Isn't it interesting that the older we get, the more we are frightened of things that we could give two rips about when we were 20 years old. I mean, I was bungee jumping, rappelling, doing all kinds of things when I was in my 20s. Now, when I get up to some place that's high and there's a railing, I do this. Do you all ever do this? You kind of put your foot there and you just kind of peek over it. And I remember the first time I did that thinking, what is wrong with me? I used to jump off of these things with a cord around me. And now I'm doing, I mean, my hands are sweating just talking about it, right? Age. Age. The almond tree blossoms. That's the hair growing white. The grasshopper drags itself along. That's the the vaunt, twig-like body of a grasshopper that all of our bodies will take the form eventually. And desire fails. It's our hormonal balance turning upside down. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, that's likely our spine, and the golden bowl is broken, that's very likely our head. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Some say that's probably our hips or our hips being fractured. Or the wheel broken at the cistern, which would be our legs. And the dust returns to earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Does that sound morose to you? Welcome to Legacy Church, by the way, where we're hopeful to encourage you as you all come in needing encouragement. 142 days to spring. Listen, this world is no home. And the body isn't either, by the way. I mean, can we agree on that? But yet we catch ourselves hoping so much. Now, if we act like this place is our home, or we act like this body is our home, we're tempted to lose a sense of forever. And a, and a scope on time as it really is. Some, some people will call this uh, eternity amnesia. I've called it forever forgetfulness. It's this moment, maybe a day, maybe a year, maybe just a brief moment where we forget that this is not home. We just forget. Now, if you see the scope of eternity, it brings meaning and context to your, your hits, your losses, your wins, whether they're small or big, it makes sense of things that just don't make sense in the moment. But if we cannot envision our Jesus building this enchanting place that will fascinate all of us for eternity, if we, if we cannot do that, then we will find ourselves saying what this preacher of preachers says, vanity of vanities, I have no pleasure in these days. These days are no fun. I don't want the sun to come up anymore. Let me explain a little bit of what I'm saying. The best parts of this world are in some way detached from this world. There there, there is so much to enjoy here. Whatever latte, college football, the laughter of a child, there's so much that should should bring a smile to our face. It makes sense that it does. But these things that we enjoy here in this temporal space are meant to draw our fascinations elsewhere otherworldly even. Think about laughter and joy just for a moment. Just laughter and joy, just off the shelf. I mean, these are breadcrumbs meant to draw us to a place, a time where our eyes will never dim, where, where our hearts will never get dark, where we will always have joy. We will always have happiness. 
I mean, think about good food, better friends. Those are just a shadow of things to come. I mean, have you ever had a moment where you're having people over or you're meeting people for uh, maybe a couple that you haven't seen in a while and you guys laugh and you have a good time? Somebody invariably says, it's time for us to go, babysitter, whatever, fill in the blank, we got to go. Invariably, somebody else says what? Oh, is it time already? Is it time already? Feels like we just sat down, right? Unless you're an introvert. Then you're like, yes, it was time 30 minutes ago. I will see you in 19 months. It was great. Why do we say, why do we say that? Is, is it time already? It's because deep inside, there's a piece of us that wants relationship with no sin involved. There's a piece of us that wants connection with nothing getting in the way. That's what's waiting for us. Or even just a sound mind, a sound body. You know those days where you feel most intact? Great night of sleep. Um, you just feel good, everything feels good, and you just kind of enjoy your own health for that moment. Even that is an echo from the future, a time where you in Christ will leap and jump and run and never grow tired. Gone are the days of the strong men being bent. Gone are the days of those who guard the house and keep the house to tremble. Gone are the days where we just can't function anymore. Comfort, peace, love, security, Safety, happiness, everything that brings a smile to your face, <laughs> it's not native to this broken world. It's not. But in some way, it is anchored to an otherworldly place that's awaiting us. Certainly now, folks who are far from Christ, people that don't love God, people that don't believe in God, they experience some of the same laughter and joy and things that I just described, don't they? This is what we in, in the church call common graces, graces that are common to everybody. Rain falling, laughter erupting, good food, things like that. But for you, for you, those who are in Christ, even the smallest graces that come and go like a mist, they're there and they're gone and we almost don't track it. Even those are to draw our attention to how good God is, how thoughtful he is, how creative and wonderful he is. I was thinking about this years ago, this very thing, because we had just recently moved to Knoxville, and I was just figuring out, yo, Kingston Pike is not the way to go if you want to get anywhere, because it's just like they can't wait to put another stoplight up. They're everywhere. There's like hundreds of them, hundreds of stoplights on that road. But one day, hear me, I burned through 19 of them without ever catching a red light. 19 green lights in a row, right? It was three in the morning, but that doesn't matter. It was 19 in a row, and I thought, God is good, man. God is good. Or, or a well-placed joke. Jokes are funny. A joke with the right real estate, though, said at the right time with the right tone, it's unforgettable. Right? Moments like that. Uh, Benton's bacon. If you get that instead of just normal bacon, you eat it, and you're like, man, God is good. This tastes good. This feels good. This was easy. We're supposed to have these quick little things come up, and, and it's supposed to draw our heart to someplace not here. God is good, and he's thoughtful. From small to large, our graces are not anchored in this world, but from the creativity and the thoughtfulness of God himself. It is a faint whisper of the things to come. Small whisper. But we can forget this, can't we? Oh, we can lose it. We can be forever forgetful. And we can actually think that the best parts about this world are stuck in this world. 
anchored to this place, found here and now. But as you and me just witnessed, just through the, a recent look through the headlines, this, this place is, it is an unsuitable investment vehicle for our deepest hopes and dreams. It's not good. If we invest all of our hope here into something like our career or our family or our money, something like that, then we have to guard and protect them at all costs. We can't let anything come close to them or else it puts us in a living hell. This is what happens when you see somebody overly enraged or crippling anxious. I mean, when, friends, when you are most outside of yourself, I mean most outside, and we can all get there. I'm not talking about sad. I'm talking about destroyed. I'm not talking about, I'm a little frustrated. I'm talking about you're enraged. I'm not talking about a little anxious. I'm talking about you are possessed with anxiety. When you are most outside of yourself, it's because something, something you have invested your ultimate hopes and aspirations in has come under attack. That's what's happening. These sandcastles that we build here, they suffer the storms of cancer or inflation. And we think that today is all we have And if we get there, then we are going to live a debilitated life. I mean, when we forget eternity, we become enamored with the temporary. I mean, let me just walk you through a couple of these to see if it's true for you. It's true for me. I mean, smothering anxiety. Some of you, you suffer from anxiousness. Not just the the basic run-of-the-mill anxiousness, but you lose sleep. You lose your mind a little bit. You definitely lose focus. You lose your ability to dream You lose your ability to smile, to hope. You can't even breathe deeply because you feel like you're in constant jeopardy because of something, some giant, some bully in your way. Friends, listen, if you're in that same club that I'm in, let me tell you something you already know. We are in control of absolutely nothing. We are not in control of anything. We feel like we should be and we try to be, but we're not, and that's where anxiety comes from, correct? I mean, trying to control life here, it just opens the door to crippling anxiety. I'm hobbled by it. Now, here's the interesting thing. We can mask it as anxious people. It's partly why I'm as productive as I am. I'm a productive guy. That's partly it. It's not because I like productivity. It's because I'm scared. I'm scared it's not going to be ready in time. I'm scared it's not going to be perfect enough. I'm scared it might disappoint other people. It's an anxiety that fuels the production. Maybe you're the same way, right? That's also how I... Have a hard time enjoying a small win from time to time. I'm always trying to put down the next bully. Listen, this is a frequent and constant point of confession, repentance, and prayer for me. Ask anyone who does life tightly with me. This is constantly a theme. This is what anxiety forgets. It forgets eternity. It forgets forever. It puts its hope in today, this moment, this crisis. It has to be solved right now. The anxious, what we ultimately want is stability and security in this world. But friends, let me tell you, that's not coming in this world. You'll have it for moments, seasons, but what you ultimately crave, that's waiting in another world, in another one. But maybe you're not an anxious person. Maybe for you it's a debilitating sadness. You're You're not looking for control. You're not looking for stability. You're looking for just comfort, good. Just some good in the world, right? Maybe you've been abused or betrayed, abandoned. You have some deep sense of loss in your life. Maybe you don't even know why you're so sad. It's an undetectable sadness, and that's part of the problem, right? Even if that's you, you you also know that this world is not safe harbor for your ultimate hopes and aspirations. It's not. 
You see, what a debilitating sadness forgets is eternity. And when we forget about eternity, we turn this world into just hunting down for the next good. Because we need the storm clouds to leave. And the sun is simply not going to shine on us. So we have to medicate it with a quick good here, a quick good there. That's what the sad want. We just want the clouds to go away. We want the clouds to go away. Or maybe for you it's inflamed anger, right? You're an angry person. You expect right things to happen rightly and right on time. And you'll get enraged, not angry, not frustrated, enraged when something slows your progression. Or if you're confronted with some sort of uh, an injustice, right? Whether it's a piece of legislation that you just can't stand, made it through. Maybe your car won't start. Maybe you got double charged and you go bananas. Bananas. You see, when someone is enraged, they have put their expectations on this world something that won't be found until the next world. What you're really looking for is righteousness, justice, flourishing, right? Now, those are good things, but they're slowed, dented, imperfect, misshapen here. These are things that are waiting for us. Anger forgets eternity because today is all we have and I'm being robbed right now. And the only appropriate emotion is rage. What the angry really want, though, is righteousness, justice, and flourishing. And that's waiting for us in forever. What I want you to see in all of this is how forgetting eternity will form us or deform us in a certain way here. You're really scared. You're really sad. You're really angry. Creeds, as we've been seeing week after week, are really good for reforming us taking the deformed and reforming us. Because what this does in this particular part of the bodily resurrection and eternal life, what this does is it kind of launches our imaginations forward, doesn't it? It has us peering where we see a time and a place where we're very unlike who we are today, living in a place that is very unlike this place that we live. That's the main idea. The body of Christ will have resurrected physical bodies and our life will be forever with our King Jesus. That's the main idea. The big passage that's going to carry us through this is 1 Corinthians 15. And that's where we're going to look today if you're already turned there. This is the main passage and then we're going to be done. But I think this does a very good job of helping me see what this will look like. We're going to start in verse 35 of, of chapter 15. This is the setting just to set the table. Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to skeptics. He's talking to skeptical people in this. This is why we catch the tone and the vibe we catch, right? For instance, he says in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? All right, he's not, these are not people that are really inquisitive. Like, hey, Paul, I really have an honest, these are people like, oh yeah, Paul, you're so smart. You're so smart. Well, what about when someone dies and they go into the ground? You're saying just God just puts all the pieces back together in the end? I mean, is that what you're saying? This is, the, this is the temperature of the room he's addressing. He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is the bee, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Okay, so... This is what's happening. This is the contention. Their contention is, is the body decomposes. Okay? And of course it does. The body decomposes. They go into the ground. It comes apart. And 298 worms eat on it. All right? 
And then now you've got that body's no longer just there. Now it's spread out. The molecules from that body are now part of 300 worms. And then birds come and eat those worms. You following me? You get what I'm saying? We are what we eat. You know what I'm saying? Or, or even, even more than that, let's say Trevor. Trevor, make up a name. The guy falls off a boat in the ocean, starts sinking. They turn around and Trevor's gone. What are they going to do? Well, they got to go home. So they go home. They leave Trevor out there. He dies. The fish eat him. Hmm? Fish eat him. And then they come back a week later and they catch those fish. And then they take them back and make sushi rolls. And now everybody eats Trevor, right? Now Trevor's even further. Hey, listen, this is just happening. This is reality, okay? So these guys, this is what they're saying. So you mean to tell me that God just puts it all back together again? This is why he goes, quit being weird. Quit being weird. Fools. All he is, he's, not just, he's just not just kicking a trash can over out of anger. When he says fool, all a fool is is someone that deletes God from the reasoning process. They try to use logic without God, and it's foolish. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, that's the, that's the just of it. He's like, you guys are you're thinking with a natural mind. Stop it. When a kernel or seed goes into the ground and dies, you don't get a better seed or a better kernel. We don't plant seeds hoping for a crop of seeds, right? You get something different. You're getting a grain, maybe wheat. We're getting produce. We're getting something Beautiful, different than the kernel, different from the seed. That's what he's saying right here, right? All right, verse 39. He goes on. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for the star differs from star in glory. Okay, interesting passage here. What we're looking at is a continuity and a discontinuity between what is before and after death. Jesus, let's take his body for just a moment, his resurrection body. It had some continuity to it and some discontinuity, which means he had physical skin, muscles, bones. He was recognizable. They could spot him, right? Um, Yet he could also walk through a locked door. Discontinuity, right? And that's basically what Paul is nailing down. I mean, think, think about the fact that the continuity and discontinuity with Jesus' body was so intricate that even his wounds were different. Thomas saw his wounds in his hands, in his side, but we don't ever catch anything in the text when we're reading this in Acts of Thomas or any of the disciples going, yo, Jesus, look, that wound in your side, oh, you've, you've had that for a while. You need to get that taken care of. It's still like bleeding and stuff. Like, it's still messed up. Your, your side is still messed. It's not, but it's still a wound. They can see it, but it's not concerning anymore. Continuity, discontinuity, okay? Now, when you are resurrected, you will have a physical body that is also a spiritual one, and it will be different than your current body. He's basically saying there are different kinds of bodies among the animals. We watched him walk through that. There can also be different kinds of bodies for humans, humans, some human bodies are mortal, some are immortal, those who have gone before us. Some are corruptible, you and me. Some are incorruptible, those who have gone before us, right? So when you are resurrected, you will have a physical body that is also spiritual, and it will be different than your current body. It will be different. How different? Yeah, good question. I mean, if you're overweight, will you be overweight? I mean, I got a hammy injury that I'm always having to pay attention. Will it be gone? What about my contacts? I mean, I've got garbage eyesight. Will that be fixed? Right? 
Listen, it's, total, it's not totally clear what things will look like. There's a lot of speculation. I'll give you my view on it, and I won't care if you disagree. How about that? I think it will be as if there was no sin to bring damage in the first place. No genetic damage in existence. No joint, muscle, bone damage. Nothing like that. No decay of age. No loss of posture. No headaches. Things, things like that. I don't think I will need contact lenses, and I don't think you'll need health insurance. I will say that. This is what Richard Baxter from the 1600s, he's a Puritan, he says it differently. He says, neither burial, nor cremation, nor severance of limbs, nor complete disintegration of parts can present any problem to the all-knowing, almighty Lord who will then clothe his redeemed people with their resurrection bodies. Agreed. Agreed. I think he'll figure it out. I think he'll figure it out. Look at verse 42. We're in 15, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay, don't get lost in the language right here. It can be easy to do. When we die, we leave everything behind, but also when we rise, we get everything. I know that sounds strange. God's redeemed people will have imperishable bodies that will never age, that will never perish. All of this comes by Jesus who goes before us as the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. Now, we're going to read that 20 verses earlier. You feel free to go on your own and rewind a good 22 dozen verses, and you will see Paul saying this, that Jesus is actually the, the first fruits, the first part of the harvest of those who have been raised from the dead. All right, let's look at verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I can, or I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay. God's intent to make man in his own image finds its fulfillment in the resurrection. I want you to think of it in two acts. Act one, God is forming man out of the dust of the ground, breathes the breath of life into the nostrils, and he takes flight. He's man. He's you. He's me. That's stage one. The second stage, and the final one, is resurrection. We're not just a physical body, but we're also a physical, new physical body and a spiritual body at the same time. Okay? Let's look at verse 51, and we'll finish out all the way through 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your body, or your labor rather, is not in vain. Okay, thanks be to God. That's what he says. That's the pivot. He finds a gospel pivot as he's talking to skeptics. And he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he is the first fruits. He goes before us and we follow after him and we get the win. We get the victory. Death loses. No more dead leaves. No more cancer. No more speeding tickets. We shall be changed. We will be changed. Because Everything that Adam failed to do, the second Adam will succeed. Everything the first Adam ruined, the second Adam will repair. And all of this is true, but this is why you care. This is why it matters for you and me today. Because if today is all you have, then life is just vanity of vanities. What's the point, honestly? But if today is one day within a trillion years, followed by another trillion years, then you could begin to process your anxieties and pains in a totally different way. A totally different way. Think about it. After a trillion years, followed by another trillion years, what bullies you today is really going to be a different shape than it is today. We've experienced this. I mean, you already intuit that what I'm saying to be true, right? How you see your biggest bully today in 20 years, you think you'll look back on it with, with the same fear, the same anger, the same, you think you'll lose any sleep in, in 20 years over what you're losing sleep over today? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I mean, just walk up to somebody who's in their 70s and their 80s and ask them some of the regrets that they had when they were in their 20s and their 30s, and a lot of it will be orbiting the conversation of, I just got too outside of myself when it came to this, that, and the other. I should have just enjoyed myself. I should have just kind of taken in the ride a little bit more. Think about it. How will your biggest bully look in one year? Do you think it'll look the same as it does today? It won't. It won't. That's why some of you, you have journals and you've, maybe you've been cleaning out your library or you're moving stuff around and you flip back two years, three years, and you find an entry. And you thought to yourself, man, that was a dark, I thought that was going to wreck me. I thought that was going to bury me. And it didn't. I actually don't even remember all the details to it. In fact, I kind of, I kind of laugh about some of it right now. I just had no idea what God was doing in the background. I didn't know how to process it then, but I do now. Listen, I started keeping a journal. And when I say I started, I mean I just started like in the last couple weeks, okay? So ask me in a year if I'm still doing it, and we'll just see. I have no idea. It's an experiment. It's called a failure journal. It's just for failures where I dropped the ball, where I took a hit, where a bully showed up, where something blew up in my face, and I wrote about it. Now, I also go forward one year and put on my calendar just a reminder to go back and read it. I'm curious. I'm curious. A year ahead, I'm curious as to how I will see it, right? I think it's going to range between, I don't even remember that, to that's not near as catastrophic as I thought it was going to be. My whole goal is to see it in real time, though, right? My whole goal is to not have a forever forgetfulness, to not have an eternity amnesia, but in the moment say, this is huge now for sure. 
I'm also in one moment of a trillion years, followed by another trillion years, followed by another trillion years. Here's the application before we're done. I want us to ask some questions to see how we're doing with forever forgetfulness and let this creed legitimately reform us. I want to see our anxieties, our sins, our pains, our joys, our happiness. I want to see it reshaped by looking over the hill and seeing eternity. Because with the weight of eternity, when it meets the, the mundane and boring Monday, it brings meaning to even the menial. It brings meaning to it. When we can look like this, our small wins are celebrated and the small hits just evaporate. They don't even show up. Questions for those of us trying to forget. This is not our home and trying to remember forever. Are you finding rage in your life, crippling anxiety, smothering sadness? Are you finding those things in your life? Just take a quick audit of your week or two. Friend, you're simply asking this world to be what it never was meant to be. This is not your home. This place doesn't make a good home. What you are experiencing right here today, Monday, Thursday, what you're experiencing is preparation for a destination we call home. This isn't it. Number two, are you asking too much from other people? This is one of the things that eternity does. It confronts our sense of uh, centrality, right? Most people, not everybody, most people walk around seeing reality as they are the star character of their, their, you know, blockbuster movie. And everybody else is kind of orbiting. Everybody else is, a, is a, an accessory character. And they have their own theme music going on in their head. Of course, you can follow where I'm going, right? But they're the middle. We're the middle. We're the center. And that's the way we live our life. These people are not center. I am center. And what ends up happening is, is we try to use them to bring us certain things, security, safety, goodness, love, appreciate, whatever it is. And we end up breaking them. We end up breaking these relationships around us. Eternity confronts that. Because what eternity does is it enters the conversation and says, oh no, you're not the middle. No, Jesus is the middle. No, you're the one orbiting him. Right? You're orbiting. In, in the movie, you are supporting cast. Right? Check that. You're not even supporting cast. You're like the supporting cast that supports the cast. You, you are the caterer. Right? When you see the credits at the end of the movie, you're the caterer. You, let, let's give, you are the assistant to the person that drives the caterer, right, to, to the set. Or, or you're not even in it at all because they forgot to put your name in it. Right? That's more close to reality. Now, what it might sound like I just said is you offer nothing to this world. You offer quite a bit. You're also not the middle. You're also not the middle. We usually sense that we're doing this when we're breaking the relationships around us. Okay, number three. Do you find yourself questioning God's goodness? If we cannot trust, if we cannot trust that God's promises reach their fullest conclusion and complete fulfillment in the world to come, we'll feel like he's ripping us off today, won't we? And you've bumped into people that struggle with this. Man, I went to church for 20 years. Every time the door was open, that, that, that's always thrown in there. Every time the door was open. Every time the door was in there, I went to church, and I really, I just, I gave my everything, and God took that job away from me. They cannot, invi- they can't see through the scope of eternity. And so God was wicked for doing that to them. And we can do the same thing. 
Do you find yourself doing that? Because it will express itself in bitterness, not thankfulness. Number four, can you see and celebrate the small wins? Can you see them? Can you sense just the beautiful little things that God is dropping in your life and take the moment to say, man, God, you're good. And just another piece of evidence that you want good things for your kids because you're a good dad. That you're thoughtful. And of course you're thoughtful because your gospel is a good story. It's perfect in its timing. It's perfect in its provision. It's perfect for me. I'm perfect for it. It's a good story. You're good. Little things. Can we celebrate the small wins? Because if you can't, you're going to struggle seeing forever the way it was meant to be seen. Listen, living as if there is no forever, that's really no way to live at all. Seeing eternity before us, though, that's how we march through a life that can be pretty difficult. Right? So go ahead and stand with me. We're going to finish. And I want to celebrate just this moment with you as we take communion together. But I want you to use your imagination. That's why God gave it to you. Gave you an imagination so you'd stretch it and use it. And I want you to imagine looking over the hill to eternity. You're looking over the hill. And it's forever chased by more forever with more forever after that. And you see Christ. And he's smiling. He's excited to see you. There's an open chair at the family table. And you get this sense that everything is going to be okay. Forever. That everything is just going to be fine you will be okay. I want you to imagine this with your mind and then look back at your troubles. Now look at your bully. Now look at that which is confronting you, demanding all of your time and attention, and then go back to Christ. Listen, some of you here, you are not in Christ or you're watching online and this is something that may be new to you because you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. Friend, I do want to warn you, you too will live eternally because this isn't your home either, right? If you're in Christ, this is as bad as it gets. If you're not in Christ, it just gets worse, right? I know it sounds like I'm trying to manipulate by emotion. I am trying to sober you. John 5 says this, Do not marvel at this, Christ says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And there will be a judgment. There will be a judgment because righteousness is demanded. And if we do not fall and rest under the righteousness that came by Christ, then all we have is the righteousness that we could bring to bear. And it will be found lacking. It will be found lacking. But there is good news. John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And you can join us as a people who will be changed. Amen. I'm going to be praying for that.